coming up on the Chazzy Cast. There does tend to be this assumption that your body is for everyone to look at and to comment on. Dr. Iris Lesser, Chassis Faculty Associate and Assistant Professor at UFE School of Kinesiology on how pregnancy and physical activity interact in a world that's all about body image. There's also this societal expectation that you figure it out and you turn back into who you were. The postpartum complications they don't talk about in this episode of the Chazzy Cast. From UFE's Community Health and Social Innovation Hub, this is the Chazzy Cast, a program dedicated to bringing experts and insights to the issues that shape our lives because words have to matter. Now, here's your host, Dr. Martha Dow. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Iris Lesser to our uh, podcast today. So welcome and thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much, Martha. This is fun. Yeah, I know. It's a bright spot in my day too. Um, what would be great, I think, is just if you could talk a little bit about sort of your journey, you know, to UFE, through UFE and the and the work that you do. And uh, it's so interesting to me. So I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Sure. Well, I mean, my work, my teaching, my research, all of it has definitely just followed my own passions and just kind of how things change over the lifespan and the things that become important and relevant to you. Um, so I started out at UFB as a sessional when I was doing my PhD and then moved on to a limited term appointment as I finished my PhD. And um, as I kind of moved into this faculty role as an assistant professor, I had a one kid already going and another kid that was in the oven. And it really just kind of became this goal to focus on postpartum well-being from a physical activity lens. I'm quite open about how I struggled when my first child was born um, from both an anxiety and a depression lens and how for me, you know, having that tool of physical activity really got me through it and seeing how other women, other mothers don't necessarily have those tools in the toolbox. And we really don't do a great job of caring for our new moms. We're a little bit more concerned about the babies. So I've since then really just tried to focus on that field and improving sort of that maternal physical activity care. Can you talk, I find it interesting because I, I mean, I've felt so privileged that sort of my political and my personal and my professional lives have always been so, you know, connected. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you sort of, you know, navigated that? Because I think as women, we still, um, people look to, you know, keeping those lives kind of separate and we're almost criticized. Can you talk a bit about that? That's an interesting point. I mean, maybe it's 2024, maybe it's UFE, but I think times are changing. If anything, I've I've somewhat felt the opposite. Um, I felt like having those experiences and being, you know, really to the point about those experiences gave me more credibility. And I think my students really respect that ability to be doing it in the face of those challenges. So you're not speaking to someone else's challenges, you're living it. And those lived experiences really help to frame what it is that you're trying to achieve. And I've really found that to be positive. Whereas, you know, I've done some work in, you know, cancer survivorship and physical activity. And I'm very clear about the fact that I haven't stepped in their shoes. I don't have that lived experience. And while you can obviously learn from others, it's also nice to be able to get it. Hmm. 
So when you, and you mentioned students, so in terms of getting it, you must have, I mean, we all do mature students in our classrooms that have children, but lots of students, you know, that don't, that are kind of transitioned right out of high school. So obviously you teach in kin. So can you talk a little bit about the interests that are a little heavier on the mother kind of content of that and parenting to the strict sort of exercise um, uh, aspect of your work? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when we think about the field of exercise physiology and exercise prescription, we often think about fitness and performance, and there's so many other layers to it. I mean, physical activity is so beneficial for mental well-being, for social connectedness, for so many other components of overall well-being that we often don't think about. We're still really rigid about thinking about exercise as aesthetics and looking a certain way and achieving a certain outcome. And so that's really where I challenge my students to do what I call burst the kinesiology bubble to recognize that they're in a kinesiology bubble, that they're in the lab, that they're getting fitness-based measures that are not normal, that are the extreme, that are the outliers, and that they're going to have to learn how to work in the real world, to work with real people, that challenges are different across the lifespan, and most of them are young, and so they haven't experienced that yet. And we set up our clinical exercise therapy course to have them working with an individual with a clinical condition out in the real world, and they have to learn how to engage with someone and be an empath. And that's something that is really important to me, is that people come out with a kinesiology degree and are real people that really get it so that we don't continue to see people beating each other up for not being good enough. Is that a, you know, I don't teach in kin, obviously. I'm on the social science side of the house. Um, is that a path that's pretty well worn for kin, you know, that's been going on a long time? Is there, are there struggles and, you know, challenges with respect to that sort of nuanced uh, goal that you have for your students? I think it's pretty novel. I think um, a lot of the kinesiology field is still more focused on kind of the strict performance-based science. And, you know, while we're starting to see more focus on physical activity and health, it's often more through health sciences than kinesiology. And so I do feel like it's relatively novel. And as one of my colleagues, you know, has said, you know, you're the first exercise physiologist I've ever met who's interested in behavioral medicine. And it's like, but why wouldn't you be? You can't engage somebody in exercise if you don't understand how to work around human behavior. And instead, we think we can kind of just treat humans like, you know, mice. And we're not mice. <laughs> it's very hard to change human behavior. So and then you add that it's in an area where we kind of see as I think we still have these ideas about pregnancy and motherhood as so natural, et cetera. So then you add that into this mix. Can you talk about, you know, some of the challenges there? And, and it, it was great to hear, by the way, that you don't find, um, haven't found sort of that tension with the personal and, and your professional. So that's exciting to hear. How does that play out in your work? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of social complexity there for sure. And when we think about, Working with new mothers, I mean, one of the things that we often see within our research is this sort of bounce back narrative culture. So it's something used in the postpartum literature to describe that in the face of all of the other components of becoming a mother and child rearing and sleep deprivation and physical change, that there's also this expectation that you get your pre-baby body back 
which in reality, there isn't a pre-baby body. You are always a post-baby body. But this, you know, continues to challenge the many identities that a mother faces. And so not only are you trying to figure out how to raise a child and recover from birth, but there's also this societal expectation that you figure it out and you turn back into who you were. And that's something that I think has really made postpartum movement, physical activity, a challenge to navigate is the assumption that you're doing exercise in order to push your body back into something rather than to support yourself through that transition. Do you think, uh, what does the literature say? What does your experience say in terms of sort of that, uh, your professional work? Are we getting better? Is there hope? You know, there's so much conversation about, you know, body positivity, is, is that helping? Is it a long road to go? Or is there something different going on around pregnancy? I do think there's something different in the pregnancy postpartum literature. Um, there are a few researchers in that area specifically that study sort of that body image, body identity piece. And they discuss a lot of how it's much harder to be body positive in that avenue that there does tend to be, you know, during pregnancy, this assumption that your body is for everyone to look at and to comment on, and that in postpartum, that it should just have gone back to where it was. And we don't really know how to navigate any of that. And then the conversations are often either uncomfortable or avoiding. And so, yeah, broadly, we see more body positivity or body neutrality, but I don't think we've seen that extend a lot into that postpartum field, particularly if we interrelate it with physical activity. Because as soon as you say physical activity, there's the assumption you're trying to change the body. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, I've been really fortunate to hear about some of your projects. I wonder if you could talk a bit about, you know, either, you know, what's foremost for you right now, because I think some of the things we've talked about sort of remind of the challenges of getting just women to think about one, that they need to take the time, that they can take the time, that what it means for change in terms of their body. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing right now in terms of research and, and, and how that's going? Yeah, I mean, we just finished up a randomized controlled trial, which had some really interesting outcomes. I mean, you go into a research study with hypothesis, and we based our assumptions on the literature and what we see in other non-postpartum populations, that if we were to provide a movement program such as yoga, so sort of a mind-body physical activity program, that we would see improvements in things like self-compassion and heart rate variability, which is a metric of how the nervous system is handling stress. And so based on what we saw in the literature, it was, you know, okay, let's try out this yoga-based program. We'll give the option or randomize into a group that comes to a class twice a week for 12 weeks or gets access to the same online program um, twice a week for 12 weeks and then our standard education control group. And the outcomes of that study are very much not what we expected. We actually managed to negatively impact self-compassion and negatively impact heart rate variability by providing this program for new mothers. Now, 
the big question would be why, right? And if you just did quantitative data analysis, you wouldn't know. Luckily, we also did qualitative-based interviews and acceptability and feasibility metrics. And what some of these women said, particularly those in the online group who weren't able to do social comparison and see the struggles of other mothers, had some really thought-provoking comments about how much the expectation of trying to fit in this form of physical activity made them feel like a failure. How much in their own heads they felt like they must be incapable compared to everyone else because they couldn't see everyone else. And even comments about how the fitness instructor in this online group who, you know, classic fitness instructor, very lean, how it just made them feel like they were never going to be good enough. They were doing a comparison and an emulation that just said, they're making me feel like crap. And that really came out in their outcomes. And so this next study that we are recruiting for now with a student-based project is trying to use individualized metrics. So again, heart rate variability, which is a way of sort of figuring out how have you slept, how stressed are you, how resilient is your body? And after we get sort of a baseline metric of that heart rate variability, guiding them through personalized exercise based on how they are doing. So if their HRV is really low compared to normal that morning, then we're going to tell them to go engage in light stretching in really basic movement and maybe just focus on household and not really try to fit in any type of additional movement. If they're kind of normal to where they typically are, that would be a time to engage in physical activity or movement if they desire going out walking and engaging in something that makes them feel good. And if they're doing a little bit better than normal, if they actually slept a little bit last night, that might be a time to actually challenge and try to get you know, an engagement in a physical activity that might be a little bit more challenging and could lead to longer term change. And the hope is that if you're doing it according to how they're doing, instead of trying to compare to others and feel like they're failing, they instead feel supported and self-compassionate about actually realizing sometimes you have to take a step back because you are caring for another human being. You are not sleeping properly. You're probably not eating or drinking the way you need to. And this is a marathon, not a sprint. So there isn't that ability to just say, I'm just going to suffer through for a week and it'll all be fine because I'm seven and a half years in and it's still a marathon. <laughs> and I, it doesn't change. <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful. Um, I... I find it a bunch of things about what you just said really, really interesting. Um, one, it makes so much sense. Intuitively, it makes so much sense. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what your research finds. Um, that idea about comparison and social comparison is, you know, as a sociologist, I find really interesting. I wondered as well about this, you know, one of the things out of COVID is we're keeping some aspects of Zoom and online world. And you mentioned a bit about that sense of community or even the assumption that happens when you can't be in the room. Can you talk a little bit about that from an exercise point of view? Sure. Yeah, it's a tricky one, too, because at the same time of having people say that they were feeling worse about themselves in that online environment, 
they also talked about how great it was to have the flexibility of being able to do it whenever they wanted and when their baby was napping. And so you kind of get this like wanting both sides of it. Like I want the flexibility. I don't want to have to drive and show up in person, but then I want to be with others. And I think we've really seen sort of through moving on from COVID that a lot of us are feeling that way, that we both miss being around people, but we're like discouraged from the effort of going to be around people. And so I don't know if this is something that is a bit of where we are in the moment in the context of human behavior, or if it's something that we would see in this population regardless, but there's definitely a desire to be around other moms to be able to laugh it off because the women who were in the program together and I attended quite a bit, we were joking around. We were laughing when we fell out of poses. There were babies crying. There were people nursing. And so you don't get that view online. But then they had to get out of their comfort zone to get there. They had to sometimes wake a baby up from a nap and, you know, all of these things that make motherhood harder. And so where do you find that balance and how do you make it happen? Like, do we need to do what we've done in some of our, you know, cancer studies where it's a synchronous online platform and you can see each other? Does that create social connection? I'm not sure. I think you kind of need to be in person to create those dynamics. So it's a real challenge. I don't know if we've done any good by kind of making people think, well, I never have to step out of my house. I can just do it here. Or if that kind of took away some of the fun that came with physical activity. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's, we're going to be trying to sort some of those questions out for a long, long time uh, in all sorts of sectors. I wondered, um, you talk about sort of how, how long do you see um, the kind of work that you're doing with moms, uh, important, relevant for them? So in other words, how long after they've given birth? Like where does, how does that all, what's the science on all of that? Yeah, that's such a good question. It comes up in almost every one of our reviews of a paper. What is postpartum? What are we calling that? And so the first study we did where we had a questionnaire and we had about 650 mothers complete a questionnaire about their activity level and other dynamics of well-being. And we didn't actually say what is postpartum. We said, if you are postpartum. And so that kind of was interesting because then most people were under 12 months, which is often the Canadian context because most people take a 12-month mat leave. And then there were a few people who were like 18 months and then there was a couple of people that were like two years. And it makes you sort of question, well, what is postpartum? And We've looked into other literature sites and we've, I've even asked this question at conferences to people who, you know, do work in women's health and you get all kinds of responses. There's the clinical view and clinically postpartum is technically only six weeks. It's when your body's kind of gone back to that post-labor, your uterus has shrunk, your hormones are somewhat leveling out. Other people talk about the fourth trimester, which is that three months after you have a baby when you have a newborn and don't really have any routine. We often go with 12 months as sort of the timeline that you're often, at least in Canada, home and engaging full time with infant care. I would argue that postpartum is however long you are continuing to struggle with the demands of motherhood. And as one naturopath put it to me, it's from the moment you give birth for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think so. And it doesn't, you know, I think that's the other thing, you know, as a mom, um, that we don't talk about because we want it. We're always, you know, encouraged to say it almost is, Oh man, it's a bad day or they're the best things ever. And we don't have anything in between where we can just like, you know, the mundane, and the daily as, as we look at it in sociology. So I think that's really interesting as well. I also am struck by the language of struggle. Um, because I think, again, we get judged for like, what does struggle get to be? How, how bad does your day have to feel? Or do you have to feel for that to warrant? Or is it just, being a mom, and then that gets marginalized. I wonder if, and it seems just to fit with so much of what your participants have said. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, from a participant standpoint, they talk about the struggle a lot from a domestic responsibility challenge, because even in 2024, particularly when you're on parental leave, the domestic responsibilities fall to the person who is at home. And so if you are taking a 12-month maternity leave and you are home with an infant and often home quite a bit because of naps and other demands, you're also responsible for all meal prep, for all cleaning, all of those additional domestic responsibilities that really never go away. And so when you've perhaps returned to work and you are still dealing with of course, having children, because just because you're back to work doesn't mean you don't have children, but you also have those additional domestic responsibilities. They experience that as the struggle of motherhood. And so, you know, sometimes it's just the taking care of children. But I would say many mothers will say that if you took away all of those extra obligations, they quite enjoy being with their children. It's that you're always multitasking. Mm -hmm. And I, and I just find that um, so connected to the naturalness of motherhood. So why can't you do all those things? Because it's natural to be a mom. Like that's your, you love being home with your, I do for a reason, right? Like those kinds of dynamics. Very interesting. It is very interesting. And it, it also really plays into this, what's called the super mom. Um, this idea that you're seen as being exceptional if you're doing it all rather than recognizing that doing it all is not healthy. And so where does, you know, movement, physical activity play into that? Are you adding something in that's becoming just an additional obligation that's causing further stress? Or have you found a way to engage in physical activity, what we call within motherhood, which means that you're building in something for you without kind of adding in another layer that just makes it all seem like too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about a couple other things, one of which is using both quantitative and qualitative. I wanted to hear a little bit more about what brought you to that because there's lots, you know, as we know, we have lots of colleagues that kind of find themselves in one camp or the other. Can you talk a bit about that and the value of that? Yeah, I mean, I have definitely changed my ways since coming to UFE. And, you know, I went from sort of biomedical physiology and, uh, you know, very expensive medical scans to finding other ways to gather data. Um, And there's actually one additional methodology that we've moved towards and published a couple papers on called autophotography. And this is where we've asked new mothers to take photos or imagery, either of themselves or objects or something that describes their experience in physical activity. And then they describe what that photo or image means to them. And you get a really participant-centric view of what the experience is. So a combination of that sort of 
personal reflection, being able to ask in semi-structured interviews about their experiences that go far beyond what we can learn from questionnaires. It's kind of resulted in us being able to answer questions we otherwise would just go, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask about systems and structures, right? So we've talked, really appreciated about, you know, women's experiences. Um, what are both the challenges and opportunities you see in working with physicians around some of the work that you're doing? Working with, um, you know, city rec or municipal rec sorts of departments or, or, or even small businesses um, around some of this work? Yeah, that's also, you know, a really great question. We're finishing up a commentary right now about how to support postpartum women in physical activity from a social equity lens. And I think every time we look at sort of this additional piece of physical activity, we have to be aware of accessibility and equity. Because not only is there very little available right now that's specific to that population, but it's quite unaffordable. We're often talking about privatized, um, you know, postpartum yoga classes in a studio, or we're talking about accessing pelvic physiotherapy, which is extremely important and often not covered or you need extended health for. Or if we're talking about just broadly recreation providers, is there childcare opportunity or is there opportunity to have your infant with you? Because I know a lot of recreation centers say, nope, no stroller is not safe. And so that creates another disadvantage. Healthcare providers, I think, are ones that we can definitely tackle. And, you know, everybody I've spoken to in the community that works in maternal health is really keen and they really do want to know more and to help their patients. But the challenge with healthcare providers is always having adequate time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I had a friend, um, her baby's, I think, about 18 months. And uh, so I was saying, you should come out skating. She said, I tried once, but it was an adult skate and I had the stroller and I don't, and was told no. I mean, she ended up going on anyway, but right. And I just thought, oh my goodness, like baby could not have been happier, right? So it was just this strange sort of resistance that seemed odd. Yeah, rules can be a problem. Yes, exactly. Well, you and I know both both know that. Um, if you thought about sort of the thing that you're most excited about right now, given all the work that you do, sort of, you know, the thing that you see the most possibility of making some change around or, the, or what would what would that be just as we close out? I think I'm pretty excited about the imagery piece, being able to represent both postpartum bodies and what movement or physical activity means in a more collaborative way. Um, just those comments from women from studies really feeling like that's not who they are. Like that, they can't recognize that person. It's making them feel worse about themselves. I mean, to me, that's a real stab in the gut. And I think if we're going to talk about, you know, body positivity and physical activity and health and mental well-being, then let's take away that one additional constraint of not feeling like the imagery matches who you are. Yeah. Wonderful. It sounds so exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. We're going to have to do it again because I have so many other things I'd love to talk about. But thank you very much. And, and thanks for the good work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you for supporting it. Our knowledge mobilization team includes Jeff Migel-Birch, Kristen Bentz, Andrea Morehouse, Frankie Fowl, Mara Penner, Sharon Strauss, and Emma Hones. Our theme music is by Chris Micah. I'm Dr. Martha Dow. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Chassis Cast. The 
ChassisCast is a production of the Community Health and Social Innovation Hub at the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia.